Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of Rebel Faith Moments. So for those that don't know, Rebel Faith Moments are those that really go against the grain and pave their own path. We're going down a road that's less traveled, and it's really the same for us as believers in Christ, that we are peculiar people, a chosen generation, and we ought to be rebel faith walkers for Jesus. And so today's episode, I have none other than my daddy, he is the pastor of the historical uh, Central Baptist Church in the Hill District of Pittsburgh. And I should say Reverend Dr. Victor J. Grigsby, uh, who is in the process of getting his doctorate now. But everybody, welcome my daddy, Reverend Victor J. Grigsby. Hi, Dad. Hey, girl. How you doing? Good. Uh, Thank you. you. Thank you for being on this episode, Dad. I, and of course, I wish it was in person, but yeah, I don't think I'm going to Pittsburgh anytime soon. And I don't think you're coming to Dallas anytime soon. No, not anytime soon. <laughs> we got to wait for all this to calm down. Yeah, COVID has just messed up 2020. Messed up all my plans. Now that it has. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dad, for this episode, it is about really how do we study the Bible? How should we study the Bible? And a lot of my friends ask me, you know, I've been in seminary, um, even those that, you know, I've been trying to counsel and help out as being a young adult pastor, um, helping with a UMC church down here in Dallas, they've always asked me, how do you go about studying the Bible? So I have several questions that they have posed to me that I now want to pose to you have a conversation about it, give them some guidance, and then walk through a particular text so that way they can get an example of how it's done. Gotcha. Let's All go right. for it. See what happens. Sound good. All right. So here we go. How do you prep for a Bible study? How do you prep for one? Ah, well, um, the major preparation is prayer. Uh, before any approaching of Scripture, uh, Scripture is holy. Uh, it is sacred. It's divine. It's the word of God. And so uh, in order to um, really get the most out of your Bible studies, uh, you have to prep with prayer uh, because um, it's not like, you know, reading the Bible is not like reading the New York Times. It's not like reading the Wall Street Journal. It's not like reading uh, Invisible Man. Um, it's not like reading uh, The Color Purple. Um, reading the scripture has a different approach to it. Because if it is a spiritual work, which it is, then it's going to take some spiritual discernment in order to try to understand it. And so I would think that the first level of preparation is indeed going after the scripture with prayer. Absolutely. It has to be a prayer. It's got to be a prayer engagement in, in the process. Absolutely. Uh, and would you say that prayer is really important too, because that's what's going to give you the discernment and how you interpret the text? Yeah, I, prayer certainly is understanding that we, this is a faith journey, um, that what we are after is not an intellectual pursuit necessarily. It is a spiritual pursuit. And so now don't get me wrong because um, you know, um, theologians like Miglior will tell you that um, we are faith-seeking understanding. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about faith-seeking understanding, it is um, part intellectual, 
but we also understand part part um, spiritual, mm -hmm. and it's those two combining in terms of faith-seeking understanding. Jesus always said, you know, even when we worship, it is spirit and truth. It is um, spirit and intellect, mind. We got to think it through. So we can't dummy down uh, when we approach the scripture, but we also have to take not only an intellectual ascent, we also have to take a spiritual ascent, and we can't not do one or the other. It's got to be a combination of both. Absolutely. That's great advice. And of course, with prayer and discernment, um, I've also heard people say, you know, in order for you to prep for a Bible study, you really have to have, you know, a newspaper in one hand and then the Bible in the other to understand what kind of text you need to actually teach or preach on. So what would you say about that? Newspaper in one hand, Bible in the other. Yeah, I think that whenever we study, we have to study with a certain amount of relevance, with a certain amount of application in mind. So that when we're talking about, um, approaching the scripture, it's not just, see, the scripture is not just, some would suggest it's an outdated book, mm -hmm. but I would think that the scripture is more, it, it's more to date than tomorrow's newspaper. Oh yeah. That the scripture is such that when we approach it, we've got to approach it with application, approach it with relevance, saying, okay, so what does this mean? This is what it meant in their time of the time of the scriptural writing, but what does it mean for us today? And I think then you're, you know, that person that, and I've heard that before too, that we've got to put the newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other, because we got to see the relevance in the two, or else it is just uh, a scholastic uh, or an academic exercise. Mm -hmm. And when we approach the scripture to study it, it is not just an academic exercise. It is indeed um, something that we're looking to um, create and to help discern the times. Mm -hmm. And so the times in which we live are also um, you know, informed by the Holy Scriptures. Uh, and so, yeah, that would be accurate. And I think that, that is a proper way to handle it, that we gotta make sure that what we're reading, that we understand that, okay, how do we apply this to today? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's a great segue to the next question, because how much of your prepping and looking at scripture is really how it's applicable today in today's culture, today's society, versus understanding the context of the text and what happened during that time? How much is, is it a middle stream of both? You got to combine them both together. How does that work in your preparation for studying? Yeah, I think when you approach the scripture in general, uh, when you understand um, the scripture, we've always got to ask ourselves, and here's, and here's the, the debate, does scripture inform community or does community inform scripture, right? So that even when you look at how the Bible was written and, and, and how it was um, arranged, we've got to ask ourselves, all right, how does the scripture and community relate to each other? Some suggest that scripture fully and totally informs community. And others suggest that community informs scripture, that there's something about community and we'd have to get into some of the Wesleyan quadrilateral in order to move in that direction with this particular discussion, but I think we only have limited time and to do that is going to um, sort of uh, 
um, challenge um, where you ultimately want to go with this tonight. But it is um, something when you talk about um, how do you how do you approach the scripture and 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 then when you approach the scripture in terms of there is a community element, it means that the faith community also helps to say what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. um, and so it changes over time. And so now we're in an era and in a generation that we're looking at the scripture and saying, really, what is love, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so if we're going to do that, all right, if we're going to say what is love, then we have to we have to look at community and the faith community might inform the interpreting of that scripture, especially where nowadays where homosexuality and all those things are concerned. Um, who's informing who, right? And those are some of the questions that we raise. But you're right, there is a level of that interaction that goes on. Absolutely. So, I mean, you bring up another great point of, you know, who's really and how is interpretation happening? And so one of the things, of course, is the difference between exegesis versus eisegesis, that exegesis yeah. is really what the scripture says versus eisegesis, what you are saying into the text. So how yeah. do we make sure that we're not doing that or looking too into the text as we're studying um, the, the, the scripture? How, how are we to do that? Well, there are a number of contexts that you have to remain true to. Else, what you will do is not only eisegete, but you can actually rape the text. Mm. That if you don't approach the text in the proper necessary context, then you can actually take advantage of the text. You mm. can rape the text, right? So that here's, here's some of the context that you have to, when you approach the scripture, um, you have to keep in mind. One is the uh, the, the biblical context where what does what the what do other portions of the bible say about the particular topic that you're studying mm -hmm. all right you also have to keep in mind the historical context what was happening at the time not our time to make the scripture say what we think it should say but what is happening at that particular time historically that the writer then says this is what you know, we're trying to get across here. These, these are the meaning of these words. This is what it is. Um, there is um, cultural context. In the Hebrew culture, maybe different when they used or did some practice or something that they did uh, versus um, our westernized culture. It's a different, maybe the same thing being done, but it might mean something different in that particular time, right? So there are those particular contexts. Then there is the scriptural context. There is the um, sort of biographical context. There is, um, you look at the author and look at that particular authorial intent. You know, what was that author trying to say? Um, you know, there's a prophetic context that you look at, um, that you may have to look at in the scripture. There's a canonical context. Um, where does this take place in the canonical uh, gathering of the scripture. Um, so there's a number of contexts that we have to look at when we talk about how do you study the scripture? Well, let's make sure we keep it in context or we will do exactly what you mentioned. And that is, we will make it say what we want to say. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So one of the other things when, it, when someone asks, you know, how do you prep for a Bible study? It's really, how do you figure out or determine 
what book you want to do, what chapter you want to do, and then how much of that chapter do you go through? If you wanted to look at the life of a particular character, do you look at the whole text? Um, so give us your kind of take on how do you pick a book or a topic or a character, or not character, but an individual within the, the Bible uh, to be able to study? Yeah, well, let me suggest first that the rule of thumb, volume is critical, but let's make sure that we study deep and not wide, mm. okay? So that it is better to go, you know, deep in the text rather than to go wide in the text so that we're not trying to grab everything Mm -hmm. What we want to do is take small bites, small chunks, and really understand the chunks inside the necessary framework of the larger whole. Mm -hmm. um, there, is, there is the part informs the whole, but the whole also informs the part, right? And so what has to happen is, and I think that is Gadamerian, I'm not too sure, uh, it, it could be Schleiermachian too. Um, you know, when you go back to um, those um, hermeneutics, um, really scholars um, and who laid the groundwork for how do you do, how do you interpret scripture? How do you interpret anything for that matter? Um, how do you understand it? Um, there are some wonderful, wonderful um, scholars in those areas like Hans-Jörg Gadamer, um, like uh, Schleiermacher, um, like uh, Palmer and the French um, uh, Ricoeur, um, Dilthey, uh, and the list goes on and on. Um, but one of the things that we do is make sure we understand that there's the connection. So you got to understand the whole, but you got to also understand the part. And the part also informs the whole, and the whole informs the part. But here's the, here's here, here it is that if you indeed um, study a passage, I always say, study for deep, not wide. Mm -hmm. I would rather be, and this is just me personally, but I would rather be um, sort of a river that is, um, you know, 100 feet deep and only two feet wide mm -hmm. than uh, 100 feet wide and only two feet deep. Mm -hmm. um, and so, that's my approach. Now that might not be everybody's approach, but my approach is let me see the depth of I, where I can go. Understanding that you'll never reach the bottom. Understanding Absolutely. that there is no end to what we can gain and what we can understand. Because here, here's the truth of the matter. Here's the truth of the matter. And it's the truth for me and for everybody else too. That the more I know about God, the more I come to understand, I don't know about God. Hmm. So that the closer I get to him, the further away I realize I am. Yeah. The closer I get to God, the further away I realize I am from him. And when we study, the more we study and the more we know, what we come to realize is, and the revelation is, the more that I come to know of God, the revelation is, the more I don't know, that I've got so much more to learn. Absolutely. I thought I knew it until 
I realized, you know what, I don't really know anything. Right. And the more I study, the more I realize I got to study. Absolutely. It's layers. It's layers. So, so the first layer, it's like peeling an onion. You know, studying is like peeling an onion. Don't think that you're going to get um, everything on the first pass. Mm -hmm. You peel that onion, you take the first layer off, and then what you discover is there's another layer right underneath for that, and then there's another layer right underneath for that. Mm -hmm. And usually the deeper you go in the onion, the more intense the um, essence is. So that the deeper you go in that onion, the more you start your eyes start to water because the essence of it is deeper at the core. And so um, the more powerful it is, the deeper you go in. And all I'm suggesting is that you can look at a scripture at one verse. Uh, you can look at it on one level and then you peel it and then you'll look at it on another level, peel it another level. And what you need to understand too is that when you study the scripture, the scripture is ever changing, ever evolving, ever new meaning, new interpretation, new understanding of it for your particular context too. Why? because you're not the same person you were yesterday mm -hmm. and you're not the same person you were last year or the year before or five years ago. And so as you evolve and develop, what you will see is that your understanding of the scripture will also evolve mm -hmm. and develop. Absolutely. That's really good. I I yeah, you definitely answered it. And I think you bring up a great point as well that we're just scratching the surface when we do our studying, regardless of what it is, whether it's an individual or, you know, a particular text or a chapter, we are just scratching the surface. And there is so much hidden treasure that is in the text that, you know, sometimes we just have to come to the text blind. Um, forget what we think we know about God. Forget what we think we have already established from the text or whatever we already know. Just come to it blind so that God can reveal what it is that he wants. So I think that's, that's a great point. There's, there, there is, um, you know, there's a wonderful little book, um, which I would suggest, it's not necessarily about studying the Bible, but it is about um, doing hermeneutics. Mm -hmm. It's by um, Hans Zimmerman. Now, for uh, those that may be uh, listening, Dad, or watching, the hermeneutics yeah. is what? It's trying to understand and interpret what is spoken, what is said, whether it is said verbally, whether it is said through music, whether it is said pictographically, however it's said, whatever is said, we're trying to understand it and interpret it. So okay. hermeneutic is really, how do you interpret something? How do you understand that thing? What does that thing mean, right? And that is just, um, you know, incredible to think of all the different ways we can interpret and understand. One of the things is, is is interpretation subjective or objective right does 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 the chair tell me what it is or do i tell the chair what it is mm. right um is the meaning of that chair and the understanding of that chair held within the chair or is it held within the subject so there's a, a subjective and an objective sort of approach to understanding really anything and where does it lie uh, and, and, and all of those particular scholars that I just mentioned have different approaches as to what's really occurring when we try to understand something. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, I can call a chair a chair, but from a subjective reality uh, and a subjective hermeneutic, I could say, but wait a minute, if I put my plate on it, it's not a chair, it's a table, right? 
I mean, it all depends. And these um, particular scholars go through and um, sort of give us an understanding of how do we understand something? How do we interpret something, right? Um, and, and, and then we talk about, um, you know, and this is sort of off the deep end of our conversation. You don't really want to go there, I'm sure. But there is a phenomenological approach to how do we understand something? And how do you, how do you understand that phenomena? right, that just occurred, whatever it is. And, and I talk like this because this is really where my world is right now. Mm -hmm. um, you talked about, and you introduced me as doctor. <laughs> I am not Dr. Griggs. Reverend doctor. That's a prophetic word, maybe, <laughs> but um, truth and it all shall be seen. But the issue is, you're right, um, I'm moving towards a doctorate. I am working on a PhD. Um, and it is in communication and rhetorical studies. One of the things in communication and rhetorical studies that's so heavy is the hermeneutic. Uh, we have what is called um, a class in, uh, I'm taking a class right now in um, hermeneutic phenomenology. And um, it is insane. I'm kind of driving myself crazy in the process. <laughs> but we're trying to understand the phenomenology of any Thing, any event, any word, any saying, any experience uh, from epistemological to experiential to an existential approach. And I know, again, this is probably not what your audience may want to hear, <laughs> but uh, it's where my world is right now. And this little book, I was going to say this little book yes. called Hermeneutics. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful, short, very short introduction to those particular um, scholars in hermeneutics that I was telling you about, and they give a wonderful outline of what it is and how do we interpret. And it also applies to scripture. This is the little book. Uh, I would encourage you uh, and your audience to get this little book if you really want to try to understand what you understand uh, and interpret what you're trying to interpret. This little book is just a little guide now, this is the one side of it. And then, um, as I mentioned to you, like, for, for example, this Hans George Gottimer book is, you know, six, 700 pages. That's the other side of it, um, of interpretation. So now, when you talk about how do we study the scripture, ah, um, we've got to understand context, interpretation, hermeneutics. Mm -hmm. We've got to sort of put all those things together and say, all right, let's approach it. Understanding that you are ever evolving and ever developing person so that what you've got today, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when you look at that very same scripture or even 10 days from now, because you are developing and because you are growing, you will understand, you will have a deeper understanding and a deeper meaning of that particular text as well. Absolutely. And I think too, it, it makes sense that not only are you constantly evolving, so how you look at a text or how you interpret it um, will depend upon kind of your involvement, but it's also like going back to your very first point of how do you study is with prayer. You need the insight from the Holy Spirit so that way you're open to be able to hear what it is that the Holy Spirit has to say, um, which will then drive your interpretation and discernment process as you're reading to uncover what it is that the Lord is trying to show you. Absolutely. I think that we've got to make sure we discern again, objectively and subjectively, do we speak to the text or, 
does this text speak to us? Mm-hmm. We've got to put ourselves in a position for at least at some point through prayer and the Holy Spirit for the text to speak to us. Absolutely. Right? Here is, here is um, sort of an interesting part that when you talk about the text speaking to us, and that is that, you know, when you've, it was said a long time ago, and I forget who said it, but the Bible really is the only book that once you've read it, it's read you. You You know, um, it tells me about me. And that's part of listening and opening to the Holy Spirit for that particular spiritual discernment that comes with reading the scripture and studying the scripture. But here's here's the thing. You ask me, okay, how do you do that? How do do you approach the text? How do you go into the text? Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. The thing is that when you go to the text, certainly you do it with reverence, you do it with prayer, understanding it's a sacred writing, that you're involved, the moment you open up the Bible, you're involved in a spiritual moment, right? It's a spiritual moment, it's a sacred moment when you open the scripture, right? And here's what you have to do. You have to absorb yourself in the text Mm -hmm. and let the text absorb you in it. So that, so that here's what I say, that you've got to put on the text, Mm -hmm. right? Whatever you're reading, you got to see it. You got to use your, it's a, it's a sensory connection. Mm -hmm. The first thing you need, one of the first things you want to do is you got to hear what's going on. You got to hear it. You got to see it. You got to feel the text. You got to smell the text. And you got to be able to touch the text. It's a sensory operation. So that if you were talking about, you know, the 23rd Psalm and lying down in the green pastures, mm-hmm. well, what does that look like? I mean, and this is not even, this is not even, this is not even trying to understand the words. We're not looking up vocabulary. We're not defining anything. All I want to try to do is put myself there, mm-hmm. right? So that say not doing that yet not doing that yet not doing that yet we're not asking the questions of the text yet but you're saying the sensory pieces do that first as just kind of okay laying the the foundation yeah and let me say that the sensory part is more meditative Mm -hmm. than than it is um than it is reflective uh it's more meditative um and so we're not going through some cognitive exercises. We're not doing that yet. Mm-hmm. What we're simply doing is um, trying to feel it. What does this feel like? Mm-hmm. You know, David in a battle against Goliath, can I see it? Can I feel it? Can I smell it? Can I touch it? Can I taste what's going on there? Mm-hmm. You know, and let all of that happen and absorb yourself in it for five, 10 minutes just so you can feel it through a sensory operation, right? Then you start doing other things. Got it, got it. So with it being sensory, you're saying, and and it really using your senses, all five senses, then what questions do you bring to the text? So I was always taught by you and other folks that you ask the why, what, when, where, how, questions of the text. So is that what you would also state to those that are watching or listening? Oh, absolutely. Um, As you, what we call, and this is preacher language, 
you know, it is kind of what we say that you, in order to kind of understand really what's going on, you got to interrogate the text. Mm -hmm. And how do you interrogate the text? Just like you would interrogate uh, a suspect for a crime. Where were you? What were you doing on the night of so-and-so? Mm -hmm. How did you get from point A to point B? How long did it take you? How long did it take you to get from, you know, A, but were you, what were you riding? Mm -hmm. Or were you walking, right? It's going to ask all those questions. If I was interrogating a suspect for a crime, I would have to ask them, and who were you with? Mm -hmm. Or you were by yourself. You were by yourself at 2 a.m. It was dark outside. And where did you say you were? Okay. Um, how did you get there? Uh, what were you doing there? Did anybody see you? So you're asking all these questions. I do the same thing when I interrogate a text as if the text is a suspect and I'm trying to figure out what are you doing mm. here? Or what did you do here? Or what are you saying to me here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So now, okay, who wrote this? Why did he write it? Why did you put that word in and not this word? Um, where is this in reference to other parts of scripture? Is there any other place in scripture where this thing is said that you said? I mean, that's interrogating the text. It, you have to, yeah, here, here, here it is. Um, I think it was Gardner C. Taylor, one of my favorite mm -hmm. pastor theologians, said that examining a text is like, cutting a diamond. You got to know the right questions to ask so that you could hit the text in the right spot so that it will break open in all of its brilliance. When you, when you, when a diamond cutter cuts a diamond, they got to know exactly where to strike it. Mm -hmm. If they strike a diamond in the wrong place, the diamond will just crumble into all these little diamond chips and be worth nothing. But if the diamond cutter knows exactly where to strike that diamond, it will break open and you'll see all of its brilliance contained inside. Wow. When you approach a text, you got to know where to strike it. And that means strike it with the right question. If you strike it with the right question, you will cause that text to open up in all of its brilliance and you will see life issue forth from it. Mm -hmm. That's our challenge. That's our challenge. Here's what I say to you and what I said, oh, just not long ago. And I think it was Benjamin Elijah Mays that may have said it. Um, I, think, I think it may have been him. But he said something like, our challenge as preachers is not to preach great sermons our challenge as preachers is to wrestle with great ideas. Hmm. I'm not interested anymore in preaching great sermons. You know why? Because I don't think I've ever preached one. But <laughs> I, I am. Know, but okay. <laughs> but, but I am. But I am into trying to wrestle with great ideas. Mm -hmm. that, that's what I'm doing. That's what all this stuff behind me is about. 
I, I wrestle with great ideas every day. And now I'm in an institution that's got me pushed and stretched to wrestle with other great ideas. Mm-hmm. That's what I think Bible study is really about. It's not about getting the answers, mm-hmm. but it's about asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you do real good Bible study, it's not that you find the answer, but doggone it, you've raised some questions that yeah. just blow you apart. And yeah. that's what you want to get. It's not, it's not, it's not the scratch, it's the itch that you're after. Mm. That's good. That's good. So we have time for one more question and then we okay. want to see if we can do a, a piece of a verse to give them an idea of how this all works. So the last question is Absolutely. how and at what point do you incorporate commentaries into your studying? Uh, You're going to have to repeat the question because you froze just a little bit right at the beginning of it. So if you would. Yeah. So what, when, at what point do we use commentaries in our study? We've heard different variations of when to use commentaries. Don't use it at the onset. Allow the Holy Spirit to work. Do some additional research first before you get to a commentary. Then other people will say, no, use a commentary. Um, What are your thoughts on commentaries with studying? Well, let me first say this, that when you say commentaries, there are at least two types of commentaries. Mm-hmm. There is, and again, I'm not sure if you're talking about just general study for anybody, or are you talking about study for preaching and general preachers? General study for anybody. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me just say that there are two types of, at least two types of, of commentaries. Okay. There is, there is a devotional commentary, and then there is what we call a critical commentary. You can tell the difference between the two, and both are needed, but a devotional commentary will pretty much read like a sermon, right? A critical commentary will take you back to Greek analysis, Hebrew analysis. It'll have um, some real um, sort of critical language, um, word studies, theological implications. It'll be a debate between two theological or three theological points about that particular text. Mm -hmm. And you will see that it doesn't read like a sermon. It's not something that's trying to really um, edify or encourage or something like that. Um, Critical commentaries, here's the difference. Usually when you read a devotional commentary, you come away more devoted and inspired. Mm-hmm. When you read a critical commentary, you usually come away with a headache. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the first thing I need to say to you and your audience that um, make sure you understand what kind of commentary you're reading. Number two, when do I use commentaries? All the time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sometimes I use them before I approach a text. Sometimes I use them before after I approach a text, sometimes I uh, use them during me, you know, my time approaching a text. Um, It all depends. Uh, I don't really think there is a right way or wrong way to do it. Um, It's all depends on um, what you open yourself to. Um, And so I understand why, especially in the preaching um, study, 
that uh, you say, well, okay, let's approach commentaries afterwards, because mm -hmm. oftentimes um, you will be so influenced and so inspired by what somebody else wrote, which is good, that you won't wait for the Holy Spirit to inspire you to see what the Holy Spirit's going to say. Now, that doesn't mean that what you just got inspired by is not inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit may be wanting to lead you in a different direction. Mm -hmm. I, I once saw this. Uh, let me just say this. I once saw this, I, and I think I still have that cartoon. I've been in ministry now for almost 40 years. Um, all my life. Yep, all your life. You're <laughs> not quite 40 yet, though. Uh, you're getting there. Getting there. Getting, getting there. there. Don't tell but, me. Okay, keep going. Okay, so <laughs> I think I found this a long, long time ago when I started pastoring. Um, and I've been, I'm almost in my 35th year of pastoring. And I think it was about two years in when I used to, to have to do a sermon every Sunday and that was new to me. And then I would start to get headaches because I'm like, I don't have anything to, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. I got to preach. I got to preach. And then it would come to the Saturday night specials where you're up all night trying to find something to preach. And it's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to preach? Right. And I saw a cartoon one time, I think it was in a theological journal or something. And mm -hmm. the cartoon, there was somebody uh, in the pastor's study and he was scratching his head like, what am I gonna preach? And behind them in the cartoon was a bigger bookshelf than this one behind me. It went all the way down the wall. And uh, the point was, you're scratching your head for something to preach. You got all the material behind you all of that works. Um, and all of the 66 books of the Bible, anywhere, go dive in, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so in terms of in terms of commentaries, and when do I use them? I use them all the time. Sometimes I use them before, sometimes I use them during, sometimes I use them after. I, I just think there are very helpful tools to try to get a handle on understanding the scripture. Absolutely. And then too, what I would also suggest is making sure that they get a, not only a, a good commentary, but getting um, a good study Bible. So oh, that absolutely. way they can work through the text that way. Because sometimes a good study Bible will break down each verse by itself and that will get you started. So yeah, there's so many good study Bibles out there now, you know, yeah. um, you have to just find one that works for you um and do it back in the day when i started it was the thompson jane um that was a good study bible um that uh you know schofield was a great study bible um uh, the nelson study bible i think i still use that um and so you know all of those different types of study bibles are really good and i'll repeat them uh in case um, someone wants to say, well, what is a good study Bible? Thompson Chain was one of the best. And, the, and it, what it did, it, it chained referenced things throughout one verse, and it gave you where all of that was in another verse or in another scripture or in another book, um, along with comments. Um, and then the Nelson Study Bible, great study Bible, and then the Schofield uh, Study Bible. Um, that was the Bible that your grandmother and grandfather believed. Mm -hmm. um, was the only study Bible that anybody should get. Get the Schofield, man. And I'm like, okay. But anyway, um, it, it, Schofield is an interesting book because Schofield also was the dispensationalist. Um, and so 
you know, when we start talking about um, dispensations, um, some believe it, some, some say that's good in a right way to understand sort of the periods in which we are in. And some say, no, we're not dispensationalists for whatever the other reasons. But um, Schofield is a good study Bible. I still use that too. But anyway, yeah. Gotcha. Well, we had a lot of questions. Uh, okay. So let's walk through, pick a verse you and pick. tell us how you, me pick? I want to pick? Go for it. All right. So let's go to. Um, I have to change my glasses though. Okay, I'm like Fred Sanford, man. I got a drawer over here. I just pick out the right glasses. <laughs> depends on what I'm doing. That's okay. I, ha I have them too. I mean. Uh, I all right. Them. All right. Um, let's go then to what you said as far as, um, let's go to the Psalm. And you were talking about um, the valley of the shadow of death. So I'm Yeah. Scared. Psalm 23 yeah. is an interesting Psalm. Um, and if we, if we go there, it's interesting, uh, and I have the Bible on my lap, to approach it, Psalm 23, um, and, and we won't get through hardly any of it, but... Just the um, first verse. Okay, so, here, so here's where we are. Um, I need to, I need to, um, I need to first ask, and, and approach it with prayer, but I need to first ask, okay, who's the writer here? David. Mm -hmm. I need to do a little bit of David research and say, well, why is this Psalm so significant about David? And why is David the writer? But why is, you know, what is the context of David's life that makes this such, um, you know, an important Psalm? Mm -hmm. Or why would he even write something like this, right? Um, and so, David, some, some David study has to be done um, for me to really kind of get um, what this is about, all right? And if I can find out, I want to find out, okay, at what point in David's life did he actually write this? Mm -hmm. Did he write this um, when he was, you know, chased by Saul uh, and said, the Lord is my shepherd? Uh, or did he write this um, when his you know, son Absalom uh, was after him, or did he write it, um, you know, when he had um, committed uh, adultery uh, with Bathsheba? Um, I mean, where in his life's journey did he write this? If I can find that out, that's going to help inform a lot to, uh, concerning the interpretation and understanding of this text as well, mm -hmm. all right? If I can find out those things. Um, so that's kind of where I would start. Uh, I would have to also, in sort of, as I said to you, biblical and canonical fashion, why, why is it considered a psalm? Mm -hmm. Why is it a Psalm 23? Why is it placed as Psalm 23? Um, there's a lot of stuff before I even get to the verse and to the first verse, the first word that I've got to begin to explore about this why, what are the Psalms, mm -hmm. right? Um, I got to ask that question and I'm already interrogating the text. Who is David? What was David doing? Where was David when he wrote it? What was happening in his life? Uh, what is a Psalm? Um, is a Psalm something that you sing? If it is, if it's something that the Hebrews would sing, then okay, then I need to put this sort of in some type of maybe worship experience or, or do I put this where right 
Mm -hmm. So I'm asking those questions even before I start to read. Now, if I'm doing that, then I say, okay, I know what the Psalms are. I know some background to David and um, here I go. All right. So now uh, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I would read through the whole Psalm and try to get a feel for the Psalm. I would rest in the Psalm. I try to do the sensory operations, right? And there's a whole lot of sensory operations going on here. We got still waters and we got pastures and we got um, paths of righteousness and we've got um, valleys of death. We've got, um, you know, rods and staffs and mm -hmm. look at all of those things that are happening there. So I would look at the passage in terms of the nouns in general and say, let me look at the nouns and make sure I see what these people, places or things are. Mm -hmm. Right. So I would do that. Um, and maybe there is a particular valley that he's going to refer to in the psalm that I might need to be aware of. Is there some kind of valley in particular in Hebrew culture or in Hebrew custom that this kind of um, writing refers to? Um, so that's possible. And um, is there... Um, any are there other nouns in here that I should be aware of, people, places, or things? Well, I also ask myself in a first read through the psalm, before I tackle the first verse, is anything in here repetitive? Is anything in here, you know, that should hold my attention? Well, isn't it interesting that the psalm bookends the book ends through the psalm. In the first verse, it opens the Lord. The sixth verse, it closes the Lord. Right? Mm -hmm. That's going to tell us something. That maybe that everything that's contained in between it is something, you know, that really emphasizes um, the power of the Lord or um, the protection or the preparation of the Lord that our lives should be bookend by one, the Lord on one side of it and the Lord on the other side of it, mm -hmm. right? I'm just looking at what's being given to me and I haven't even really started unpacking the text, mm -hmm. right? Notice the Lord starts the Psalm in verse one and the Lord ends the Psalm in verse six. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the way we should live our lives. Maybe, maybe when we approach life and we go through life, that we should live it with such a security. And the only way that security comes is by having the Lord on the front end of it and the mm -hmm. Lord on the back end of it. That's good. In mm -hmm. fact, that the Lord should be on the opening of your day and the Lord should be on the closing of your day. Mm -hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. Right Now, that's just a real quick look. Are there other things like that in this text that I need to be aware of? And perhaps there are. Are there particular ways that what I call diagramming the, the verse or diagramming the psalm that I need to be aware of? Are there sections that go together? Is there, are there, in other words, movements in the psalm that I should be aware of, mm -hmm. right? So that's all just the general glossy look over it, okay? So when I get to the, the first verse, after I've done all of that, sat in the text, I've smelled it, I've heard it, I've sensed it, 
I've tasted it. I've looked at some of the history behind it. I understand who David is. I understand what a psalm is. I see some repetitions in it. I've looked at the nouns in the verse. Then I'm going to start looking at the verbs in the passage, right? Because I think the strength, and I'm going to say this very generically and loosely, but I mean it, that I think the real strength and power of any scriptural verse and passage is not contained in the nouns, but it's contained in the verbs. Mm-hmm. It's an action of it. We got to study for the verbs, not for the nouns so much. We need to know the persons, places, and things, but we also need to look at the verbs. Mm-hmm. The verbs, I think, are more critical and will tell you more about what's going on in the passage yeah. than the nouns, mm-hmm. all right? So do verb study, not just noun study. So now we get to the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Real quick, I don't know how much time we got left. We have five minutes. Okay, then let me hurry up. Because <laughs> the first thing I would look at is the Lord, right? Uh-huh. I would ask myself, the Lord, what is that in the original language? Is it Adonai? Is it Yahweh? You know, what Lord are we talking about? Because mm-hmm. the Lord, it could be interpreted, that word in the original language could be, usually though, um, it could be Adonai, it could be El Shaddai, it could be some name that is given to God that means our strength, that means our might, that mm-hmm. means our victory, that means our peace, that means whatever, right? Um, if it's usually L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's a reference to Yahweh, the unknowable one. This is not all capital, so then now I'm leaning in the other direction, saying, okay. well, maybe it's another name for the Lord. But we do understand Lord, and here's where I'm saying, let's make sure we keep it in the context, the historical context, because Lord to me means to rule over. Well, it does, and certainly he is our ruler, but I'm thinking in the Hebrew context, right, of that word, that there is some other meaning behind it. And I need to, I need to hit that, strike that word in the right place mm-hmm. and find out what that really means. And then it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I think that is, is the verb to be. Is, is always wrapped around an ontological move. Mm-hmm. Is deals with ontology. And, and this is probably more than what you're after, but this is what I do. Okay. So I'm looking at now this, so then this has something to do with being, because when we talk about ontology, when we talk about an ontological structure of a verse, then we're asking ourselves, this has to do with being. So the Lord is my shepherd. Something that I need to possess, something that I need to own is being. What is he to me? He is my shepherd. Now I got to go back and really do some study because um, poiominics is what we're looking at now. Okay. The shepherding of the flock is is poiominics, right? And we've got to ask ourselves, how does this apply as shepherd to me? And what does a shepherd do? How does a shepherd behave? How does a shepherd treat his sheep? What does a shepherd's role? What is a shepherd? I mean, and I'm going to study shepherd forever. I'm going to find out what shepherd is about. And then I can apply that to what the Lord is to me in terms of his essence to me and what I need to become and how I need to see God, right? Yeah. Then it says, I shall not want. I think um, that is part of the verbiage that we need to get at. Mm -hmm. I shall not want. 
meaning I shall not lack anything. I shall not have any other need for anything. Why? Because he is my all sufficiency mm -hmm. as my shepherd. I shall not want. I used to, when I was younger, I used to think I shall not want was I shall not want in the sense that I don't want for anything. That's not what that means. It means, um, or, or I used to think of it as I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, why don't I want my shepherd? Yeah. Yeah. I shall not want the shepherd. That's not what this saying. It's saying that I shall not want. Understanding that as his as the shepherd, he supplies everything for his sheep. Yeah. And then it's then it goes from there and says, okay, well, what does he supply? Right? And when I get to the I shall not want, I'm gonna ask myself these questions well, what is it that I shall not want because he is my shepherd? Mm -hmm. And if he is my all-sufficiency, then does he supply in terms of my wants emotionally, spiritually, mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, physically? Mm -hmm. And you will see that he supplies all those, right? Yeah. And so that's in general, the way I would approach the text, that's how I would start to get some understanding. Then once I've done all of that study and digging in, looking at the word study behind shepherd and Lord, and I shall not want, and the sufficiency of God in our lives, et cetera, et cetera, then the thing becomes this. Well, what does that mean to me? Yeah. Here's what you have to do when you study. And after you've studied, you have to always raise the so what. So what? What's that mean to me? So what? If you don't have, if you can't answer the so what as to, well, what's that mean to me? What's that mean to the world? What does that mean? You know, um, yeah. how does, how do we apply this? Then you've got to go back and you've got to do a little bit more study. Yeah. Uh, because ultimately, if it's not saying anything to us, then we, do we really understand it? Mm -hmm. We've got to be able to apply it and say, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, that means to me that, why don't, you know, why do I worry? If God's going to take care of me, then what do I need to worry about? Yeah. So anyway, that's quick. That's one verse. Um, I don't know. I guess we don't have time for any, any of it. <laughs> but um, that's what I do. That's kind of how I do it. And that's, you said, how do I study the Bible? There you go. Thank you, Dad. Well, I really appreciate it. Everyone, give it up where you are for my daddy um, on how do we study the Bible. I really appreciate it. And everyone, this has been your Rebel Faith Moment. Thank you for joining, watching, and listening in. We really appreciate it. Until next time, bye.